0: And we'll explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, Interesting. interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a great episode for every single person out there because I don't think that there is a person alive who doesn't love the Muppets. And I'm talking with Guy Gilchrist today about his work as Jim Henson's illustrator. He did the Muppets comic strip. He helped to create Muppet Babies. He's also done a lot of work with Looney Tunes, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and he wrote the incredibly long-running comic strip Nancy Forever, including uh, you know, his, his own one a day called Today's Dog. Uh, this guy's just been all over the place. And on top of his illustrious illustration career, he is a country music star, he's a innovational speaker he's even designed baseball logos he's an author uh, this, guy, this guy does it all a, a true Renaissance man uh, and we're gonna get into all of that we got to dive right into this otherwise we're not gonna have enough time to go through the incredible life that is Guy Gilchrist Guy thank you so much for being on the show today. So this is this is really incredible because obviously you know I don't want to rehash a lot of the other interviews that you've done I wanted this I want this to be new and and raw and kind of you know talk about things you don't normally get to talk about but we got to tread some familiar ground because you know. Part of the reason why I think so many people are enamored with you and your work is just you've done you've you've been tied to so many incredible characters. You know, I mean, some of my favorites, obviously, the Muppets, Fraggle Rock, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were a favorite of mine growing up. Uh, you know, uh, one of my other shows, we 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 talk about the science of Looney Tunes and, and Acme products and, you know, the <laughs> and cartoon physics. So I love Looney Tunes and all that stuff. Uh, Tom and Jerry, you know, one of my top favorites. I, I could debate for days on who the bad guy is in that cartoon.
1: I, I will probably agree with you. Well,
0: so who do you take? On who, who do you got? Do you got Tom or Jerry? Who do you think? Jerry. You think Jerry's the bad guy? Yeah. <laughs> I like you guy I totally agree the guy's a jerk he he half the cartoons he asks for it you know i i'm not I'm not suggesting that the, the cat should run around and beaten up and be a bully all the time however Jerry does ask for it most of the time well
1: it's it's very much like um when you get into the psychology of it because you have to uh uh to to draw them mm-hmm. you know uh and it's very now. They were, uh, it was way more subtle when Fritz Freeling uh, was putting together uh, Tweety. You know, because you know Tweety is the bad guy. Right. You know, in, in, in Tweety and Sylvester. I'm going to be cute and adorable and kill this guy.
0: <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a weird psychological game because you're 100% right. You're 100% right. But when you look at it, and this is kind of the, the brilliance behind most of the Looney Tunes cartoons, is you're talking about a cat versus a bird. And in the real world, obviously, the bird is going to be the underdog in that. The bird's going to get eaten 99% of the time if it can't get away. So the, the people watching it, their mind is already made up that Tweety's got to be He's – got to root for Tweety. But in truth, he's the jerk in the cartoon.
1: And what's funny is when uh, people come up to me for commissions mm-hmm. yeah, at uh, comic cons and stuff like that. Uh, guys will come up to me and they'll say, "Would you draw, you know, Tweety, you know, for my girlfriend?" Mm-hmm. But when the but if it's a girl, she'll say, "Will you draw me Sylvester?" I'm like, "See, <laughs> you, you 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 girls like bad boys,
0: you know." <laughs> <laughs> nothing changes right nothing changes that's uh-huh. funny uh so i gotta tell you so what you do seems almost like magic to me because i've i've just been i'm one of those people who is just incapable of drawing straight lines and so i i can't draw to save my life i'm sure you hear that a lot and the closest thing I ever got to drawing was I was friends with a guy who filled out one of those pamphlets. Do you remember those pamphlets from the art instruction schools where you would draw like a little turtle? Oh, yeah, or, draw the pirate, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember a guy drew, He, you know, he he was bragging that he drew this turtle. And it turns out he actually traced the turtle, which always seemed like cheating. Mm-hmm. But I think he got accepted yeah. to the school. I don't think he went. Uh, and those things were those things are kind of interesting as a little side note, because Charles Schultz uh, went to one of those schools. And right. Well, you know,
1: that's why that place stayed open, you know, for so long was that Sparky, you know, was an alumni. Right. And, uh, you know, and and he, you know, he did believe in that, you know, they actually those that that particular school actually did good things. Hmm. You know, they really did. And they I, I think they're still around.
0: They went to uh, funk last year.
1: Oh, did they? They finally went belly
0: up. Yeah, they went belly up just a year ago. Oh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. oh, two twenty eighteen. I am sorry. I am sorry. Over a year ago.
1: Probably, probably because of you know all the YouTube how to draw videos. Time, right. You
0: know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Technology. I mean, Mort Walker was also uh, he he um, graded some of the some of the the submissions that came in. Who obviously you have a big connection. I
1: can't, with. Yeah, I can't remember. He went to uh, there was a how to draw cartoons thing in the nineteen thirties. Uh, and it was very famous and the, the name is escaping me now, but him and my first editor at King features Bill Yates, uh, they both had submitted, you know, to this
0: how to draw thing, you know, where you paid like a dollar, you know, uh, back
1: in 1930
0: was a lot of money. Yeah. That's like a trillion dollars in today's money. Yeah. And I can't
1: remember what the name of this was. But, you know, they would advertise, uh, you know, in things that, you know, kids would see, uh, you know, like a magazine like Boys Life or something, you know, Scouting News or something. Mm -hmm. That stuff, there were so many of the guys that were my idols, you know, that were into cartooning, you know, from the day they were born, like I was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and did that. I mean, my, uh, my art school... You know, my cartooning school was Walter Lance's Easy Way to Draw, uh, you know, which was a a, a golden book and a coloring book. That was mine,
0: yeah. I've always wanted to know, I think that there's something that goes on in, you know, for, for every person, even whether they have talent or not, something when they're younger sparks this kind of inner drive in them and it kind of continues them on. And, you know, especially with people like yourself who have tremendous success at a certain thing. You know, there's a reason why you got into drawing. It's it's more than just a simple talent. There's there's got to be more to it. So so, what really kind of drove you to to take this up? You know, at an early age, obviously you were looking at coloring books and 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 things like that. Little golden books, my favorites. What what got you into this, and, and why was it such a passion? My mom. Your mom. It's always the mom.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, my mom was essentially a single mother
0: because my. Uh,
1: Biological father was not around, and uh, she had been uh, a good artist in school.
2: Oh, interesting! And
1: uh, she was, and you know, she she was an accountant uh, and a bookkeeper and stuff by trade, but she you know got jobs as uh, you know being a waitress and working the front desk of a hotel, and uh, you know and things. And I was a baby, and she would take me with her, so you know she'd be working at the diner. And it was a tiny little town called Winstead in Connecticut, um, uh, the uh, uh, northeast uh, part of Connecticut. And uh, a really, really, really little town. Uh, not a lot of people at all. Uh, and the the diner was on Main Street. And she would take me with her, and she would open the newspaper every day to the funnies. And give me paper, crayons, pencils, and stuff, and she would draw ovals. And show me, you know, that we could draw Bugs Bunny and things like that, Mm -hmm. you know, using an oval. Mm -hmm. And then she would uh, let me go down a block or so from there to the appliance store uh, where they had televisions in the windows. And at four o'clock, Walter Lance would come on hmm. and uh, before the Woody Woodpecker cartoons right. and he would draw. And sometimes he would take you uh, in the back, showing you all uh, the guys that were animating and stuff. And then and he would explain things and then he would show you the cartoons. Uh, Woody Woodpecker, Chili Willie, Panda, all of that. And, you know, he was the most famous animator in the world. Uh, and that was it. I mean, that was it. Uh, I wanted to be, I wanted to work for Walter Lance and I wanted to do that. And uh, and my mother was very encouraging and we didn't have any money. Uh, so, you know, we couldn't, for instance, go see Peter Pan at the theater next door because uh, it was a dollar a ticket to go. And so she'd tell me all about it, like how amazing the, the experience of watching the movie would be. But then she'd say, after the movie, guy, You know, everybody wants to be able to take it home, but it's gone. And now, and then she would show me the little golden book of uh, Peter Pan and say, but we can take this home and we'll have it forever. And, you know, she read it to me and we would draw the characters. And so we were poor, but I didn't know it.
0: (laughs) Right. Best way to be poor, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> to not know it. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, speaking, I'm speaking from experience, by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah, sure. Uh, well, you know, certainly had a lot of practice there, right, right. Uh, and uh, uh, but you know, that feeling of being able to, uh, you know, make yourself smile, make uh, make other people happy, make other people smile—that was the driving thing. Hmm. Uh, right off the
0: bat. Well, it, you know, I love that idea of these books that have the story in them instead of the movies. So it's funny because I, I, I have a similar similar childhood, although I did not acquire the ability to draw, unlike you. Uh, but but I had a lot of the same books. I remember I had a record player, and like a little personal record player, and so you would buy the the you know the movies, and you would get a little record in the back, and then it would play you know sixteen oh, yeah. pages of the scenes or whatever. And I remember I had E. T. I still to this day never seen ET, but I I had the book and I've read the book so many times that I feel like I've seen it. Uh you know, but I remember those very distinctly and how how it is it was really amazing cuz that was cutting edge technology at the time to be able to before VHS and all that stuff to be able to really have whatever book you wanted at a cheap price cuz you know, movies were very expensive to own but the books were not. So, um that was a great way to cab the stories, you know.
1: Oh yeah. Uh- uh, when when I got to do uh, you know things with uh, you know with the Muppets and Looney stuff on down the road, where we do the book and record, mm-hmm.
2: uh, yep. it
1: was a dream come it was a dream come true yeah.
0: for me. Yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing. But you um, here's so this is one of those little nuggets I was talking about earlier. So did is it true that you had your first job at thirteen years old? Probably. <laughs> I had my first job at 13 years old, but I thought I was the only one. Earlier
1: than that, uh, when I was like you know 10 and 11 years old, I uh, uh, I was hanging drawings of mine. Uh, my my stepfather uh, used to uh, take me to work with him. He was an upholsterer, okay, and he would take me. Uh, he would take me to his shop every day in the summertime and stuff. And of course, I was terrible at any of that. Uh, you know, so you'd have me like sweep, you know, uh, sweep, uh, sweep the sidewalks and stuff in front of the shop. And I I would hang pictures that I drew on a clothesline, uh, and sell. Uh, but when I was around 12 or 13, yeah, I went to New York city to one of the very first comic cons and I got on a train, lied. Uh, you know, about where I was going and everything, and, you know, uh, well, actually, I said where I was going, but I just lied about the, you know, how old the kid was that I was going with. They thought he was, like, three years older, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and but, uh, so, me and Chuck, this friend of mine, we went to New York, and, uh, because I wanted to see what a Comic-Con Uh, you know, what a comic book convention was. They said that there were, uh, I read in like the Comic Buyer's Guide that people like Jack Kirby, you know, were going to be there. Mm. And uh, and they were. Uh, And anyway, so I went to New York and I started getting work uh, with some of the like underground, what we called underground comics uh, at the time. Uh, you know, and some of uh, what were uh, eventually uh, became uh, fanzines, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, yeah. And so then I got work locally uh, with real small outfits uh, in Connecticut, which is where I was living. Uh, so I, yeah, I started very, very early and was going to New York uh, on a kind of a regular basis, maybe, you know, three or four times uh, a year. Wow. Uh, because I wanted to find out how good I had to be, you know, to get a job up there. You know, like they, the song says, you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in, in middle school and in high school, uh, you know, I was a big deal, but out there in the real world, I mean, I was a nothing and i wanted to to work you know where the big guys you know all of my heroes worked right. and uh, so it was it, and it was new york city for me and not la because it was closer
2: that makes sense so yeah. i didn't
1: get into animation uh, because even the new, all the new york animators had many you know, decades before moved out to la and but uh, that was the center of publishing so there were you know the comic syndicates uh, the newspaper syndicates uh, the children's books, the coloring books, uh, all of that were there and I started getting work. Uh, and, uh, when I was 16, uh, I did get a job, you know, ghosting, uh, uh some Disney coloring books hmm. and that was a big, big
0: deal. Right. That is unthinkable nowadays. You know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that that you've accomplished is kind of unthinkable now. I don't think that it's possible anymore, really, because I mean, maybe in some ways because of the Internet. Some people, there's a lot of prodigies that are kind of found and discovered on YouTube or whatever through social media. So it can happen, but it it doesn't require traveling to New York at 13 years old, you know, (laughs) know, lucky
1: to be alive Uh, for real, lucky to be alive. You are. You know, uh, God has always really smiled on me and taken care of me. Uh, because, you know, the people I I was, you know, people I was meeting, I mean, I had no business doing, you know, what I was doing, but, uh, but maybe it was maybe, uh, because I was very earnest, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, folks either, you know, took pity on me, liked me, you know, for my enthusiasm, what you know, whatever it was and sort of took me under their wing, uh because I wanted this, you know, this was it. I wanted this really, really badly. But no, you're right. Uh, I do think that with the internet, certainly, uh, you know, you can get your work uh, all over the world. And, uh, you know, and of course, you know, at whatever age you are, you know, you can submit stuff to different publishers and stuff. But way, way back in the in the seventies, of course, you know, you had to get in front of people. You mm-hmm. were either mailing it,
2: right. uh,
1: or you were looking to meet them face to face, and that was the only way. Uh, and so, you know, New York was New York, and you, you had to get there uh, you know, to
0: find out. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a whole different process that, I mean, it just is unheard of nowadays. You know, I mean, it's your, your mom would have been locked up for child neglect nowadays. You know I mean? It's like, I know it's crazy to think just how much things have changed. Uh, one of the things, here's another little interesting nugget that, that I picked up. Tell me if this is true, but you've been doing this for a long time. I think close to 40, 45, 46 years or something like that. Uh, you still use an inkwell? Is that true? Yeah. do you Do you use a, do you do you pluck your own quill? And do you prefer goose or, or swan? <laughs> no,
1: I use a, I uh, I use a, I'm mostly a brush guy, uh-huh. uh, you know, pen and ink uh, instead of pen and ink, brush and ink. Uh, but I did, uh, but I do use pens, and uh, I do use the you know the uh, the brass you know, these uh, these brass uh, pen nibs. Yeah. And uh, that was what I used for uh, for the majority of the time that I was doing Nancy and Sluggo. I just never got into, I, I literally never got into, uh, you know, Photoshop and all of that stuff. I was always busy. And I was always, you know, trying to make deadlines and writing the stories and all of that. And I never carved that time out you know, to start learning, you know, digitally. Now had I been an
2: animator in the eighties,
1: uh, like you know, like many of my friends, they wound up, you know, having to learn because animation went that way.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: but books didn't. And uh uh you know, and so we were you know, we could still, you know, set type and do all of that sort of stuff. And I did the Nancy strip. Uh, you know, up until Oh, I guess it's almost been two years, I guess, since I've retired from that. Uh, but I was always busy, you know, and I always had a gig uh, just doing everything the old fashioned way. And so I
0: stayed that way. And you have pen tips that are like 100 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I used to go online, I'd, I'd go online, uh, you know, on eBay and stuff and, and uh, you know, and look for the pen points because of, uh, Uh, You know, a lot of them, like gelats and stuff, uh, were very hard to find. And so I'd go online and look, and I'd find, you know, big, uh, you know, wholesale boxes of these things from the 40s or whatever. And, uh, yeah, one time I did find uh, English pens from Pen Points, like 100 years ago. And uh, I got them, and they worked out great.
0: I, I, that's so amazing to me because obviously you weren't born in the Renaissance period, you know. Uh, but so, <laughs> so why did you go with pen? And I mean, obviously the Photoshop thing, I get that. But but even inkwells and in, like pen tips, that still seems even archaic for you know when when you were learning all this stuff.
1: Oh uh, no, no, it wasn't really uh, when uh, when I first met uh, the very first uh, real you know cartoonist that uh, I ever met was a guy named Jim Aparo. And uh, he's famous for uh, doing Aquaman and Brave and the Bold and Phantom Stranger and stuff for JC Comics. Mm. And he lived around 20 miles from me and uh, someone at an ad agency, uh, Dave Morrell at an ad agency, uh, knew him from his ad agency days and got me an appointment on a Saturday to go to his house you know, and I got to go into his studio, and he showed me everything that he was using. And it was brushes and pens hmm. and uh, you know the pro-white and uh, and the Higgins ink and all of that stuff. And I took note of every single thing that he was using, and that's what I went and got
0: that makes sense. okay. so you you learned it from the guys doing it at the time, and then you just became an artisan with it.
1: oh uh, yeah, the big thing for me was uh, I you know i I had asked him, uh the people that i really loved you know the the great funny animal artists uh like like uh kelly pogo uh you know i would ask uh you know am i using the right brushes and and that kind of stuff so i uh i uh, i made sure that i had the same things you know that my heroes had mm-hmm. uh and then i tried to emulate emulate them the hardest thing for me uh was uh, I could letter with a pen, uh, but I was just, a, I was really a brush guy cause it was really sort of, you know, the Disney school for me. And then when I got, um, oh, a few years before I tried out for Nancy, uh, in the mid nineties, uh, I was asked to, you know, to do some stuff, pen and ink. And I learned pen, uh, the pen, uh, You know, for real, for drawing and not just for lettering. And I'm glad I did. Uh, I wouldn't have gotten uh, the Nancy job. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The Nancy thing you you brought up, it's, it's kind of interesting. So we're into comic strips. This is a really interesting world that has kind of shifted in the past 20 years as well, especially as newspapers have kind of gone uh, the Way of the Dinosaur. Right. Um, you know, it's you did Nancy for a long period of time. Now, I'll be honest, I'd never heard of the comic strip Nancy. I've probably read it once or twice. But it is, it has been around for 80 years. You know, you did it for about... Uh,
1: actually, almost, uh, right. 93, uh, I think, uh, right? Uh, yeah, uh, well, it started in uh, Fritzy Ritz, character, Aunt Fritzy, that started in 1922. So, it's it's, it's in its ninety. It's it's in its ninety eighth year now, and uh, and Nancy showed up in thirty three, I believe. Uh, you know during the depression, and uh, yeah, so, I mean anyway, it's been a really long, She's been eight years
0: old for many many years. Right. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but you mentioned Nancy a few times, and I thought this was kind of interesting because. Your time on that, the how you got, because this was a very popular strip um, when you got it. This is it's kind of an interesting story on how you got the strip, because I believe you you were offered it and then didn't want it because you couldn't draw the figures and then drew them right. and then mm-hmm. ended up t- kicking someone else out of the job. after they'd already given it to someone else, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I still don't know who that was. Um,
0: <laughs> if they're yeah. listening, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where Guy lives. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> um, it, yeah.
1: I, uh, uh, so uh, my agent, David Hendon called me one day and, uh, uh, and I was, uh, and, and I was doing children's books and uh, I was also doing sports logos uh, for some baseball teams and stuff. And uh, uh, but anyway, I was, uh, uh, you know, not working really steady and needed a steady gig. And he had been uh, the head of uh, United Features uh, before he uh, left on his own and started uh, being a literary agent. And so, anyway, he reached out to me one day, and he said, "Hey, uh, Jerry Scott, who's been doing the strip for about nine or ten years, uh, is going to leave, and they want you. One one catch: you've got to audition." And, uh, and I said, "Hey, okay, I don't want it. You know, the Ernie Bushmiller thing is not my thing. You know, it's not my style." Uh, that Ernie, Ernie had, was one that created it, I said, it's just not my style. I'm not, you know, funny animals guy and stuff. And he said, oh, <laughs> You're turning this down. And I went, well, I, I can't do it. And he said, I think you can, you know, they really want somebody that writes for adults and for kids. Uh, you know, think about it. Anyway, I hung up the phone and went and pulled some, um, Uh, resource material through my board. You know, that's what we used to call the file cabinets that had, you know, everything. Uh, Because before there was Google Images, if you wanted to be able to draw, you know, a certain kind of car or a perspective or anything, you you had to have materials on this stuff. And anyway, I, uh, so I pulled out of my files a bunch of Ernie Bushmiller stuff and I tried to draw the characters and I couldn't. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, I draw Looney Tunes, I do this, 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 I can't draw this. Huh. You know, yeah. I knew it wasn't like, you know, my style, but I mean, you know, I, I shouldn't be able to draw it. And um, anyway, so for about a week, um, I kept on trying. And, you know, tracing and made model sheets and stuff. And uh, eventually I called David. I had six uh, dailies done. And uh, and I told him I had them done. And he said, oh, I thought you turned it down. You don't want it. I said, well, I didn't want it, but then I found out I couldn't do it. So I kept at it, and I've got something. And uh, so he said, well, hang on, and I uh, called them, and I said, well, you know, good, nice work, genius. <laughs> they got somebody, uh, you know. Oh, I go, okay. Well, anyway, and he said, well, give them to me anyway, and let me, let me just show them just in case, you know, anything ever comes up. And, uh, so anyway, I did, uh, got to FedEx and, uh, that same day he called me up and said, gee, I don't know who the other guy was, but, uh, they gave you the job hmm. and, uh, they were, um, on such a deadline that those six that I did, uh, ran in the papers. I mean, that's how close wow. they were. And, uh, and. And the only thing that I knew was the, the person that they had working on it uh, had, did not have any previous syndication experience. And so they probably wanted me, you know, because I had done the Muppets
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, you know, they, and I was uh, used to working on deadline. And so they knew, you know, that if they got me, I could do it. Right. And uh, anyway, so that was it. And, you know, I've been incredibly lucky, really, really blessed. I mean, there was another bad decision on my part. Nah, I don't want it. that turned out to be, you know, something that I really got known for. I mean, I did it for over 22 years.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing because, because Nancy's, it's, it's funny because you, you, so you finished up, I think February 18th. So that's um two one eight and of twenty eighteen two zero one eight not to get into numerology, but that 's pretty interesting there. I think that was your last one it was February eighteenth uh was that date on purpose? no, just random, just a really cool coincidence
1: <laughs> it's what the you know it was you know it was it, you know, it, was, uh, it was the end of a week okay you know <laughs> uh, uh, you know the when um uh you know when we decided uh that uh, i wasn't going to do it anymore uh you know, the, the contract called for uh, 90 days. And so whatever that day was, that was it.
0: Okay. I mean, it, it's kind of the way Nancy kind of has evolved, especially in the past year, is kind of interesting because you did it for a long period of time, had a very specific style. You've talked about this in several places. Yeah. Very simple, simple humor. Uh, you know, she's an eight-year-old. Um, and, and the way you ended it was kind of, you know, there, it was kind of a big panel. I believe um, that the the aunt and, and her longtime um, beau get married, and it's a very very cute ending to it. And it really kind of wraps up the strip in a way that that seems like it's closure. Which kind of which kind of made way for for a very interesting and new regime that came in that was very different. Than when you then when you did it, and I thought I, I just kind of stumbled across this because I thought it was interesting. In one video, you talk about how you wanted to do Nancy for the rest of your life, and then that video comes out four months after you've already quit the uh, quit the comic strip. So, was there a specific reason? Were you looking to do other projects, and just kind of grown tired of it, or what? What happened?
1: Well, for about uh,
0: for the last like five years
1: uh, of the strip. Um, I had been having, uh, back issues. Uh, I had, uh, uh, I have a, a back disease that, that deteriorates your discs and it was getting rough, even though I still liked having the, uh, the, the forum, uh, to write the, the work of, uh, you know, uh, being in production, uh, all the time, uh, and not being able to take care of myself. Uh, physically, uh, had really taken its toll. Over that last year, it was really, really rough. Uh, And the syndication business is, you know, it's not like anything else where you can say, well, hey, you know, can I get a medical leave, you know, for a year or something and get this worked out? Uh, Because eventually I had to have surgery and go through rehab and all of that. There there is nothing like that. It's like... If you can't, if if you can't do it every day, yeah. then, you know, you have to move on. And certainly I had uh, over twenty twenty two 22 years or so, uh, you know, there had been a lot of times uh, that it was really difficult, uh, you know, for me to be able to do it, you know, uh, different issues uh, come up. I mean, you know, it's life, you know, that's uh, 22 years, it's, it's life. It was a decision that was sort of long in coming, uh, but... Uh, but then, when it happened, it it was uh, it was pretty sudden because it became obvious very very quickly that I wasn't going to be able to continue.
0: I mean that makes that makes sense. I read someplace that you also were. I mean, we haven't even touched on on your music career, but that that had, that had something to do with um, with leaving that. Sort of... Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: yeah. I would, well, I I really had uh, for a long time wanted to do uh, quite a few other things. Uh, and, uh, you know, but when you're doing a strip, uh, it takes all of your time. Uh, and I had gotten pretty good at juggling, uh, everything, but, you know, but once, you know, but once your body starts breaking down, you, you know, you've got to start prioritizing that makes sense. and, uh, you know, and, and, and I didn't feel like, uh, you know, I didn't feel like the, the uh, that continuing. Uh, you know, and having somebody else do it or something, and me uh, and and me write it uh, without me being, you know, completely involved uh, with it, uh, pretty much every step of the way, because uh, I had tried all sorts of different ways to, you know, to continue it. Uh, it wasn't going to work, and so it was, uh, you know, it it, it, it happened quickly.
0: I, I mean, it's, it's, it was just kind of interesting because I think it was short of an 80th anniversary. Um, but look, I mean, life comes up. I totally understand that. Uh, one of the interesting things that kind of came out of that is that Nan- so Nancy was picked up by a woman named Olivia James, uh, Jamie. And I don't know, I, I'm kind of curious, like how this works, because she's taken this thing in a completely different, like literally 180 from what you were doing. You know, um, you know, she's been quoted as saying that you know that Nancy's kind of a jerk, gluttonous, big feelings. She voraciously consumes her world, and and strangely, it's this weird thing where it was almost this complete generational shift from what you were doing. And and in, you know, in some places have called it the best comic of 2018. Uh, I mean, it's it's very different. You know, all of a sudden, Nancy's got tons of technology, and she's talking about Snapchat and all this stuff. You know what do you think about that shift? As you know, because this is a character you've worked on for so long, and where did those those gigantic tonal shifts come from? Is it is it the person who's in charge of the strip? Is it is, does the artist have a lot of creative freedom? How does that typically work?
1: Well, um, when I took it over, uh, Jerry Scott had gone you know completely uh, 180 degrees from where Ernie Bushmiller was. Okay. And he did this sort of, you know, hip now, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, 80s version, uh-huh. you know, of, uh, of, of Nancy. And, uh, and then that ran, you know, its course. And uh, when he was about to, you know, to leave uh, his, the, the contract, uh, they started looking around uh, for someone. And it's really the syndicate's idea whether they want to try to continue you know, with the same vibe right. of, you know, the, the previous guy or, 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 gal, uh, or, you know, or do another, uh, or do a shift. Uh, when, you know, when I was, uh, when I was asked, uh, to try out, they wanted to, you know, to completely go a different, totally different way than, uh, than Jerry. And, you know, and Jerry and I know each other, uh, but, We've actually, ne- you know, I don't think we ever, well, I know that we didn't talk about Nancy and we did not know each other, uh, when I tried out and, uh, and I just sort of, you know, picked it up and started running with it, uh, never reading Jerry's, you know, stuff, hmm. uh, you know, they picked me up for a reason. Uh, I, you know, started in, you know, doing my thing and they let me run with it. And I guess. Uh, Olivia, it, it's the same way with her. You know, I don't know her. Right. You know, uh, Universal must have just said, well, you know, let's try something else.
0: Got it. Okay. I was really curious how that works, because yeah. I don't know much about the syndication, the comic strip syndication yeah. business, and like, who decides those changes? Well,
1: it really depends, and it, it really depends on the strip, with legacy strips, which
0: mm-hmm. is, is what Nancy is. Right. Uh,
1: you know, sometimes the syndicate Will you know not want to rock the boat and they'll look you know for someone that can carry on uh exactly you know as the creator or the predecessor did, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you know they'll take a they'll they take a loop of faith right uh they did that with me, and it worked out uh because they were you know at the time when I took it over uh it was really teetering on maybe going away. Mm. And so, uh, you know, and maybe that was the case uh, again. I don't know.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating when you see these things that pass through so many people's hands and what makes people... You know, Batman's another example. I mean, how many times has Batman been reinvented in the past 20 years? Sure. You know, I mean, it's just people take it in these interesting directions. You know, we, we, one of the things we've got to talk about, we've got to talk about the Muppets. I know you've talked about this in several other places, but this is so interesting because you became... You know, you had a great relationship with Jim Henson. You became his illustrator, which led you to the White House, to having your stuff in the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. This is such a big part of your career. And you did it at the ripe age of 24. Uh, that, again, <laughs> What's, it's one of those things you talked about before where you're going to New York at, at 13. You You're, you know, you're working for the, the biggest puppet puppeteer in the country at 24 uh how how in how in the world did that come about
1: like I said, I am the luckiest guy in the world <laughs> uh reallytri- really interesting really intru- right. uh i uh, uh i uh, I was working for a weekly reader and I was doing a comic book called Super superrononel and it was a funny animal comic that I was writing and drawing and Mort Walker, the creator of Beetle Bailey and High and Lois and Bonanza. um he had started a museum of cartoon art, uh, on the New York, Connecticut line. And mm. I found out about it by reading a book called backstage at the strips where he talked about his life as a cartoonist. And I just, you know, just devoured this book and found out, uh, cause this was over on the other side of, uh, Connecticut, you know, um, in the shadows of New York city. I had no idea. Uh, i had never even been, uh, you know, to that side of Connecticut. Uh, even when I went to New York, uh, I was on a train, you know? And, uh, so I read about this incredible, you know, cartoonist community and stuff. And I started going to the museum all uh, the time. They would have guest cartoonists there once a month and they would give talks. And every once in a while, uh, the guest cartoonist couldn't make it for one reason or another. And they'd look around for somebody to speak, uh, do a little chalk talk, uh, in their little auditorium. And, uh, sometimes that became me. Uh, and, uh, I love doing that, you know, teaching kids how to draw and, you know, horsing around, drawing pictures and, um, uh, and, uh, and 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 started of doing stand up, you know, with uh, yeah. with a sharpie in my head. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a great way and to anyway, put it. Anyway, one day Mort saw me. <laughs> you know, one day Mort saw me do it, and you know, and I met Mort, and I mean, I was like, you know, t- hero worship. I mean, ridiculous. And here's Mort Walker. And anyway, and he went, you know, pretty good. <laughs> uh, only one thing: nobody knows what the heck you do. Yeah. You know, what do you do anyway? And I told him and, uh, you know, showed him a comic and said, oh, okay, uh, well, let's actually schedule you and we'll put some artwork of yours up um, in this little room that was attached to uh, the auditorium. And uh, so uh, they did. And Mort remembered the artwork. And then one day he was out playing golf with Bill Yates, the head of King Futures, and Bill was telling that they had had a, King Features had a development deal with Jim Henson, and Jim wanted a comic strip version of The Muppet Show to be written and drawn, and uh, they had had the development deal for like two years, and they had tried out a couple hundred people. uh, uh, Different teams, different, you know, uh, and uh, Jim didn't like anyone. Uh, it just, nothing was flying and they were about to lose the thing. Uh, they were about to lose the development deal and they were going to go someplace else and this is going to be the biggest comic strip uh, of all time. And Mark said, that's uh, a, a frog and a pig, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Bill goes, yeah.
0: He
1: says, oh, there's this hippie kid, you know, hangs out. And he draws funny animals. You're
0: the funny animal guy.
1: And, uh, yeah, funny animals. He draws funny animals. You know, they're funny animals. Okay. You know, call Guy. And Bill did. There was uh, very, very uh, little resource material out there. Uh, the only drawings of any Muppets I could find were, uh, were in some Sesame Street books. Oh, interesting. Uh, most of which uh, were, were drawn by uh, Michael K. Thrift. Hmm. And uh, Michael was, uh, had become Jim Henson's creative director. Uh, and anyway, I bought a couple of the Sesame Street books that had nothing to do with Muppet Show, except they were Muppets, and, you know, there was no such thing as, you know, tapes or DVDs. Or there was anything like that, and so I needed to see how you drew Muppets, and, uh, but I loved the show, and anyway, I did some up and brought them to Bill. He liked them, asked me for more, and uh, then... Uh, I just kept drawing them uh for free uh I figured this was my chance, and I loved the Muppets and I felt like Jim Henson was Walt Disney mm-hmm. of my kind, right. and if i and and even if I failed, if I could meet him, you know if I could meet Michael K. Frith, if I could somehow. You know, get into this universe. I, I just wanted it so badly, so, so badly. And I just kept trying. And eventually, Michael invited me uh, to come to Henson Associates, 117 East 69th Street, the Brownstone. And I did. And of course, I was absolutely, my mind was blown, you know, being there and seeing this. Jim wasn't there. He was making a movie over in London, The Great Muppet And uh anyway, he was real nice, michael, and uh you know, but noncommittal and uh anyway, but I now had met him, and I felt like I was making progress, and so I just kept drawing and I had the the uh, the super colonel job, and I was making good money, but every night I would draw the methods, and I'd mail them to bill, and I did that for a year, wow an entire year almost an entire year holy cow and yeah uh, i just did it for free i just kept that dish thing because i figured until they said no <laughs> uh I like and that. yeah until they said no and the, yeah until they said no until they said well we we've got somebody uh and they didn't and um uh, eventually during that year you know there were a lot of uh, uh shifts a lot of things happened Uh, I found out that, you know, Maurice Severin, uh, was working on it too. And that made me try even harder because she was one of my heroes Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I didn't think I was going to get it. Um, but I kept writing and drawing and eventually the phone rang and it was Jerry Jewell, Jim's head writer from California. And when he called me, I passed, I mean, I passed out. I, uh, you know, I, it was totally out of the blue, uh, and, uh, because Bill had called me about a week before and said, something's going on and I don't think it looks good for you. Hmm. So I kind of wrote it off. Right. And uh, then the phone rang, and it was Jerry Jewell, and he said, oh, no, you've had the job for a week or two. <laughs> so whatever was going on, it was a positive thing. <laughs>
0: wow. You had the job for a week and didn't know it. <laughs> you're you're the last one to know you had the job. A
1: couple of weeks, yeah. A couple of weeks, and I didn't know it. And uh, and then I had to sit there in my studio garage, in the garage, my garage, which was from my studio. And... And talk to Jerry Jewell about writing the strip like this happens every single day. Right, yeah. That all your dreams come true. (laughs) I mean, you know, I was on the phone with L.A. for like, for an hour before I could start screaming like a little (laughs) kid.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got to act like you've been there, you know? It doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah. You held it together, though.
1: No, you know, I had to, yeah, I had to pretend. And then, uh, 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 about two months went by and, uh. Uh, Jerry, they set up, you know, how it was going to go with Michael, you know, teaching me uh, how to draw them and I was writing and, and Jerry was approving the gags and everything was going to Jim and also to Frank uh, over in England and uh, it was quite the big process and then eventually uh, Jim got on the Concord from London and uh, came to uh and, and came to new york and uh and one saturday i met him and uh, way before the strip came out and that was it uh i already had the job but i didn't feel in my heart that i had it until i looked at jim and jim told me himself wow and uh so that was it and i actually started on it without a contract Without anything, uh, we shook hands, Michael and I, and Bill and myself, and uh, you know, and I was doing it for like a year. I, contact, I mean, just, just, just was. I just did it.
0: I, I don't know what's more dangerous: sending a kid into New York at twelve years old by himself, or, or working <laughs> on the Muppets with Jim Henson in a big company in L.A. without a contract. That's a real toss-up. <laughs> <laughs> but you did it, man. You did it.
1: Well, the funny thing is. The thing is, all of the big deals in my life, um, of course, Jim, that was the biggest. Yeah. Uh, Jim and Bill, uh, King Features and Henson Associates, that was the biggest. Uh, Learning Tunes with Warner Brothers and um, uh, Tom Jerry, King Panther, all of that stuff. And, and that I've done my own characters, like the Tiny Dinos and Mud Pie. I always just shook hands and started. And I didn't concern myself, you know, very much, you know, with the legal part. I just started. It was like they were taking me on as, you know, as a partner, as a creative partner. And, uh, and I just did it. And I think there's something much to be said uh, about that, you know, about the trust that you put into people, uh, put forth. And I, uh, and I think that it does pay dividends. I think that uh that they uh that they that they, they respect you. Uh you know, and they know that you're putting you know, you're putting your heart into this thing.
0: Well, there's definitely a lot to be said about that. <laughs> For sure. We might be an opposite end of the spectrum. I don't know. I think we live in a world where you've got to get this stuff written down, man. I hear too many stories about people. Oh, no, 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 no. It-
1: eventually it does, and eventually it does. Uh, no, eventually it does, and certainly, no, and, and I think you and I are in agreement. Okay. Um, uh, no. No. Uh, you, you know, legally and everything, you've, you, you've, you've got to have it handled. And, uh, and these are big things and sometimes, you know, they aren't, but you don't know. And, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, it's been a litigious world in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm talking about is making sure that you put your heart and your soul and your trust in the creative process and stuff, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. uh, uh, and, uh, and then deal with the other. As it comes along, I mean, there have been many projects where, you know, I thought we were going to do it, and then we couldn't come to an agreement uh, as well. But, you know, but the real big ones, uh, you know, there's so much riding on uh, that particular uh, partnership uh, that, you know, you just go
0: for it. I get that. I mean, look, this thing launched simultaneously with 660 papers, 80 countries across the world. I mean, this thing, this thing opened (laughs) <laughs> Huge! It, w- it wasn't a slow build. It didn't show up in a couple of papers in an underground following.
1: No, and trust me, and, and trust me, me starting it without a contract was the smartest thing I ever did. <laughs> because because they made everybody made the announcement. They were selling, selling, selling. And oh, and by the way, we don't have guys signed yet.
0: I did great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you! It looks like you did the right move, man. You're a shrewd businessman, guy. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I love, I love because because it, it debuted all over the world. I love this. This is one thing I picked up: is that due to its global nature, no wordplay or puns were allowed. I never even thought that that would be yeah. an issue, but of course it is because things don't translate perfectly. That makes sense.
1: Well, and it's a huge issue too because the Muppets had so much pun right uh, yep, stuff yep, in yep, it. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, you know, we had rules for jokes. Are they old? Are they corny? Are they bad? but are they old, corny, and bad enough for all? You <laughs> yeah. know? Um, you know, they had to really, you know, meet all that, that criteria to be a Muppet joke. Um, and, you know, but a lot of them were puns. And uh, so if I did write a pun, and I wrote a lot of them, uh, then I would have to find a way to uh, be able to put different, a different joke in the same strip. Uh, or uh to be able to reuse that uh for it to be translated all over the world uh, or I would have to do an entire separate strip for free because I really want it I
0: see it. right uh
1: yeah yeah.
0: yeah yeah that makes sense yeah
1: but so you had to uh yeah you had to think globally all the time uh when you worked with Jim Jim was that way that uh you know that the muppets and all of Jim's stuff when I worked on Fraggles and Babies and all of that. Yeah, this was for the world, and the Muppets belonged to the world, and uh, everything was going to be simultaneous. And uh, so you always had to have that feeling in your, you know, in your heart. You were writing, you know, for people that you'd never meet mm-hmm. in corners of the globe that you would never
0: visit. Right. I mean, what was it like to be, from a creative standpoint, to be handed the keys to the kingdom? I mean, you were given, you didn't have to build the entire cast of the Muppets. You were just given everybody. I mean, was it it exciting because you had all these jokes planned out for the different characters? Or was it a little daunting because you had to kind of include everybody and learn everyone's voice in such a short period of time with such a quick turnaround?
1: It was extremely scary. It was scary. Um, It was just, it was flat out scary. I mean, is it exciting? But it was incredibly scary. I mean, you know, every mistake I was making, I was making on a grand scale. Right, right, right. You know, you you couldn't, (laughs) you know, there was no time for a pilot. Yeah. Uh, The other thing was, it was the most popular uh, show in the world. And the movies were the most popular movies in the world. And I was given a task that when you think about it, it's really impossible to, you know, to create black and white lines uh, and word balloons in place of the genius of Jim and Frank and Dave and Jerry. uh all of the color and the music and everything—it's like you know trying to put an orchestra in a phone booth or something. You right. know, a sardine can't—you yeah. you, can't—you you can't do it
0: unless you're a clown. I mean, I mean, cl- clowns can fit a lot of people into a Volkswagen. <laughs> you had to learn their techniques.
1: <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, but that—but that was the—you the, know—that was uh, that was the job, and uh, you yeah, know, and and, and I, I thank that every day, uh, you know, for Michael Frys. Uh, because, you know, Michael taught me how to drive them. And, uh, and I thank God every day that it was, you know, that it was Jim. Because, you know, Jim and Michael uh, and Jim uh who I worked with on, you know, the babies and the fraggles and all the toys and all of that, I mean, they had so much, so much patience, uh, you know, with me. Uh, again, I think that they, you know, like what we were talking about earlier about, you know, my early life going into New York and stuff, uh, I had so much enthusiasm and a lot of energy and, you know, I'd do anything, you know, I really wanted to please Jim, of course. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, I just, just work and work and work, you know, days and nights, you know, with no sleep and everything to try to just get the best I possibly could. Um, the, the great thing was that I was the first, do it. Uh, you know, there, there wasn't a very much method material, there. Mm you know, and so there was nothing to compare it to. So that made it hard, but also, you know, me being, me being the first, uh, it was easy in that that was the only easy part was that if I was messing up, well, that was the style. you know, here we go. Uh, as it went along, uh, things got, Uh, You know, a lot easier. As far as having the keys to the kingdom, I really didn't Um, at first. uh, You know, I was definitely on a long leash. Okay, (laughs) Um, right. You know, uh, because Jim was Jim and Frank and Jerry Jewel were approving. You know, every joke. Michael was uh, blue lining. You know, me bringing me back to Mm model. And there was a, you know, an exhaustive process uh, of approvals at the beginning. And then about a year and a half into it, Jim asked me to come up to Toronto uh, where he was filming a Miss Piggy special and also uh, filming Frag Rock. And at that point, about a year and a half into it, uh, you know, Jim knew that the daily deadlines and everything. The approval process was really hard uh, on me, uh, and it was at that point that uh, he and I got together just all by ourselves in the sound booth there, Channel Nine, and he said, "It's yours now." And he put both of his hands on my hand and he said, "You know, it's always been yours, and you know, from now on, um, you know, what you know, it, it's it's up to you." And that's when he gave me, really gave me the keys to the king. Wow. I get very emotional when I think about that, wow. and um, that meant the world to me. That was
0: something. Uh, that's unbelievable. I mean, Jim Henson telling you that you now have the keys to his comic strip, yeah. which is what everyone. That's how everyone across the world every day is getting access to the Muppets. Not everyone's watching the show every day. That's a weekly show. The movie comes out, you know, once every couple of years. But every single day, you're introducing his characters to the world.
1: Jim was is, Jim is the greatest guy. Forget, you know, forget everything about him being, you know, this art, artistic genius icon for the whole world. The way that he did it, the way that he did it, his patience, never raising his voice, one-on-one, that was, that was just, I learned so much about being a human being from Jim. He made everybody better. If you were... Jim understood, you know, who he was and, you know, and the power, uh, the the popularity and all of that of of what he was doing. And and to be in his universe, he was the greatest boss you could ever have because he'd give you the job and then he would not tell you how to do it. And so you you would climb through, you know, jump through any hoop, you know, crawl through broken glass, <laughs> do anything, um, to make it as great as you possibly could to, uh, to not fail the trust that he had given you, to not betray that trust. And, uh, and I feel like everybody that worked with him became a hundred times whatever they were, uh, just for being around him. You know his his gentleness, the gentleness and the directness of his genius uh, is something that uh, that it, it's it, it you can't compare it to anything else. So young, you know, just so young. I was twenty three when I patient, and uh, you know, but Jim liked um, Jim liked to be around, uh, you know, people, uh, young people. Uh, he liked the energy um uh and uh, you know and that and, and uh and 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 everybody was a team you know and uh and everyone was he treated everyone the same too uh no matter what your job was you know with him uh uh you know he would have these like company picnics. Uh, Where, you know, everyone got together and saw the latest whatever it was, and uh, everyone hung out together, and we really were, it sounds so trite, but it's so true. We really were truly a family, and uh, we all relied on each other, and uh, the way that uh, I learned, uh, you know, uh, to do business and uh, to treat people and everything, I learned it from Jim.
0: I mean, it's it's um, at twenty three years old you did this at twenty three, and your experience with the Muppets even led to being an honorary guest at the White House and having your stuff in the Smithsonian. I mean, this led to amazing things. We're, we're running out of time here, but I want to get. We're going to do a little bonus episode. We're going to talk about your time at the White House and your country music career. But I think ending it with your with your time, even though it's just at twenty three, you know, you did so much in your life up to that point. Uh, you know, I think that this is a great place to end it. How can people get in touch with you if they want to be turned into a, a Muppet or or a Looney Tunes character, or if they just want to find out what you're up to. Where can people find you?
1: Uh, yeah, it's really, really tough to find me on social media.
0: Not okay. at all. <laughs> okay.
1: um, yeah, Guy uh, F, as in Frank, uh, Gilchrist, uh, you know, on Twitter and Instagram and, and all that. And, uh, and the, the website and the Facebook page are uh it's a guy Gilchrist production. Uh that comes from Walter Lance, a Walter Lance. Production, oh, I love it. Uh a Guy Gilchrist production. And uh yeah, so you can find me on Facebook there and on my uh that's my website as well. And I'm all over social media and uh you know and, and constantly uh you know doing commissions and going to comic cons and, and all of that and the schedules for all of that are all over there.
0: It's a, yeah, there's a lot. Of, that's where I met you at, at, a, at a local convention here in LA. Uh, you're all over the place. I see you promoting all of that. I'm going to put everything up on the website so it'll be easy to find. People won't have to do the big search, but you're welcome to if you want to do it longhand. Guy Gilchrist, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so
0: much. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glenn Co. production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. If you like the show, you're going to want to subscribe to make sure to never miss an episode. Best way to do that, go to fascinatingnouns.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and no matter what your favorite podcasting listening platform, we're on it. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and of course, Spotify, bottom of the page you can subscribe and you can also find links to the show's social media facebook twitter instagram pinterest youtube we got stuff on every one of those and of course you're going to want to know you're going to want to see guys work and you're going to want to get in touch with him top of the page not only can you find his stuff but you can find every guest that's ever been on the show and every episode bought top of the page and if you like this show you're going to like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening and of transmission.